0: Fort Gordon is at the center of the greater Augusta region's economy. With the families that are stationed here to the businesses that have contracts with the Department of Defense, each one strengthens our economy in different ways. We're talking all things Fort Gordon on this episode of Range of Influence. Welcome everyone to the ROI podcast or range of influence brought to you by Premier Networks. I am Russell Ahadne, president and CEO of the Columbia County Chamber of Commerce here with a very exciting episode. As always, I'm joined with my friend and co-host Reagan Williams, past chair of the chamber and senior vice president of Maybomb Real Estate.
1: Hey Russ, I'm so excited about this episode. We have two of the most recognizable people When you think of Fort Gordon, and quite frankly, they are probably the two coolest guys we'll ever have on this podcast. We're excited to have Colonel Shaw Pitt, Garrison Commander of Fort Gordon, and Dr. Tom Clark, Executive Director of the
0: CSRA Alliance for Fort Gordon. I'd agree with you when you talk about these guys being cool. They are as cool as they come. Uh, This is going to be a great interview, and we're going to get right to that conversation after this message from our presenting sponsor, Premier Networks.
1: Premier Networks is the premier information technology and cybersecurity firm in the CSRA. You have enough to worry about for your business. Leave it to the Augusta IT guys to ensure your IT is done right. No ironclad contracts, no fine print, just fast, reliable technology. From an experienced customer-centric team, locally owned, call for a free cyber assessment. Because in 2021, IT has to be right. Premier Networks, the official IT partner of the Augusta Green Jackets.
0: Welcome gentlemen, Colonel Pick, Dr. Clark. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being on our show. We wanna kick things off, uh, really kind of get an understanding of, you know, what it is you guys do in your r- current roles. Um, and then we'll kind of get into some a little bit more uh, personal things, but let's kind of start with you, Colonel Pick. Talk about your role as Garrison Commander. What's a day in the life of a Garrison Commander like?
2: Awesome. Uh, Good question. Uh, So how I usually try to describe uh, garrison command uh, to to civilian counterparts and colleagues is think of me as probably three parts city manager, one part unelected mayor. Um, I I run a small city of 32,000 with about another, depending on how you count them, uh, 60,000 constituents in terms of retirees that live in the the immediate area around the, the fort, but that come and draw services. From the fort. Um, we, ho- we host a-, a large medical center, regional medical hub, and so I, I kind of run the city. I keep the, the utilities going, the-, the police and fire departments operating, uh, and ensure the success, ultimately, while we're all there, of the mission of the cyber school and our operational headquarters that are on the installation, um, some of which have a 24-7 real-world mission. So that that's kind of what I do. A day in the life uh, is a, is a bit of a unicorn to chase because no two days have ever been the same in the year I've been in command. So uh, I call it problem solving in contact. Uh, I wake up, I get my coffee, I go to the office and, uh, and I spin the bucket of, of challenges and I pull out one. It's like the lotto um, and we solve problems. Uh, so that's best I can really describe it. It's fun in that it keeps me on my toes.
1: Well, I think anybody who thinks that they're busy or that their job is very interesting should just, you know, come spend a day come with spend you because they'll realize ju- just how unbusy they are <laughs> and how uninteresting their job is. Cause you're just certainly really fascinating. Uh, Dr. Clark, the CSRA Alliance for Fort Gordon was initially formed as an awareness tool because there was a threat that Fort Gordon may close. This was, uh, many moons ago. Uh, or that it would be even downsized. This is the early 2000s. But the Alliance is so much more now. Could you just tell our listeners what the Alliance is, what you do, uh, and what it, its impact is on the community?
3: Sure, absolutely. Uh, the Alliance was formed in 2003, like you said, to combat the possible BRAC in 2005. Fast forward to today and Fort Gordon grew 9,000 people in the last eight years. I mean, that is an amazing amount of growth and we're blessed to have them as our neighbor in our backyard. And we now, just like before, promote, coordinate, and advocate for Fort Gordon's missions because we understand the complexity of them and how critical they are to our nation's defense. But about 2016, we had to remission because folks uh, folks understood that Fort Gordon is is not closing. You know, if we use the word BRAC, we say that acronym now means better relationships across our communities. So we took on a new uh, effort to try to help uh, the critical shortage of cyber workers. So uh, we'll talk later in the podcast about Cyber Patriot, about Different programs we advocate for the uh, things like the new gate uh, in a, in a direct connector off of I twenty. So every day is is also different. It's exciting, and, and I literally skip to work. Well, the work that that you've done at the Alliance, that your predecessor Tom Tucky
1: did, that the Alliance's work across the community—it's certainly evident in what we've seen over the last uh, you know several years. I mean, Russ, you weren't here during those years, but there was there was a great fear. Uh, among the community, that, that Fort Gordon might disappear or w- would look vastly different than the, the way it looked at the time. And to fast forward to today and just see what it's become, it's I, I understand over the last couple of years, Fort Gordon is, is one of only a few installations across the military that has seen growth, that's growing, that's, that's actively in construction mode. Is that true?
2: Well, yes, yeah, certainly from, from my perch. Uh, but you know Tom's got a little more depth in, in terms of uh, time that he's been watching this. So I'll, I'll kick it over to yeah, you. Yeah,
3: absolutely. I mean, uh, at one time, us and Fort Meade, we're, we're uh, getting the bulk of the dollars. When you talk about over a billion dollars of construction projects, and kudos to uh, so many leaders on Fort Gordon, this construction continued uh, throughout the pandemic. I mean, when you th- think about the last couple years we have and the dynamic leadership that Colonel Pick and so many others have provided, we... It is just amazing.
0: I think it's interesting too, because a little backstory on, on my uh, kind of resume, I started off in a community in Southern California, Irvine, which was right next to Tustin, uh, which was, again, part of that conversation of BRAC and ended up closing. So to see what the Alliance has done for this area in, in saving Fort Gordon and, and helping to make it thrive, it's kind of an interesting little bookends to my chamber uh, pathway. So it's kind of interesting. So kudos to you and the work that the Alliance has done to to really help this area thrive. And back to you, Colonel Pick, kind of talking a little bit about uh, Dr. Clark mentioned the pandemic. Um, you you came to Fort Gordon right kind of in the heart of the pandemic. Talk about how life on post has changed and maybe what are some of the biggest challenges and what have been some of the biggest takeaways
2: yeah great great question cuz we're still really kind of in it in in some regard um so you're right i did i came in last july took command we were uh we were in the thick of it um and then we and we made a slow exit um and obviously the delta variant made a made a surprise uh appearance <laughs> and and we and now we're kind of coming out of that um so some some really interesting uh takeaways i would not have foreseen um, in terms of challenges, we're still dealing with, um, and then I'll, I'll kind of tie it off with what, what I think I'm the most proud of us uh, as a community uh, and an installation. So some of the challenges, you know, getting getting case rates under control. I mean, we were we have public health measures for that. We have the vaccines, and, and we're moving through that in terms of case rates. Um, what some of the challenges that that are that are pandemic induced, I believe. That everybody's dealing with that none of us would have seen coming, especially as we came out of the worst surges, was the the workforce shortages. Right, as everybody was supposed to go back to work, everybody's short of workers. So that that's a really strange dynamic that is that is challenging us on post. I'm I'm trying to hire people for literally everything, and I know everybody else is. So there's a workforce challenge that we're all still wrestling with. Uh, supply chain shortages that that impacted thankfully didn't stop the the extensive construction on post that that Tom mentioned. and I'll and I'll kind of talk about the extent of that program because it is enormous. Um, so what i'm what I'm most proud of now coming out of two surges and two really two waves of pandemics, is that the mission of Fort Gordon to create signal cyber electronic warfare, soldiers for the army, and the joint force uh, increasingly, and the operational mission of our cyber and our other mission partners uh, never stopped. Right? We we, we, we adapted. We might have slowed a little bit and then and then rebuilt. Uh, but the mission never stopped. But not only the operational mission never stopped. None of the construction projects halted. Right? None of our our uh, key programs like our child care services, our schools, none of that shut down. Right? We just we just adapted and it and we took you know, had some, had some rough weeks and, and months with, with some cases, but we were able to adapt and continue operating. So I guess for me, coming out of what I'm hoping is the last wave of this thing, um, is that I look back and, I, and, and we figured out how to keep operating. So to me, that's the bumper sticker for my first year in command is, you know, it, it tried to shut us down, but it didn't. Um, so I'm proud, I'm proud of that. I really am.
1: You know, in the business world, in, in my industry— we thought a lot of us did that when COVID came on the scene, that there would be kind of a temporary change in the way that we did business. And that as soon as it was over, we'd go right back to the way that we did things. What we have all found is that a lot of the changes that we've implemented are actually better. They've improved our efficiency. They've improved the bottom line. Workers are happier. Uh, you know, Colonel, I'm sure there are some things that you guys found the same way. Do you think that the pandemic has changed the way in which the army or, or, you know, other folks on Fort Gordon, because we've got Air Force and Marines and the Navy there. Do you think that the military has changed operations because of this?
2: Oh, absolutely. Certainly the way we do business day to day as we operate. Um, absolutely. And I lived that actually in my prior job as the, the, the chief information officer for Army Special Operations Command at Fort Bragg. But that's where I was at when the, uh, when the pandemic really started. And we had to telework, right, 75% of a 79,000 person uh, headquarters, like almost overnight and so that required things like you know everybody went to zoom and teams and every we were just grasping for tools to allow us to disaggregate and telework and continue operating in some ways that was that was challenging early on but i think what we found in the in the in the first 6 months and certainly by the time i got here was uh, some folks were a lot more productive right um and I'll just say it. I I can do multiple things on a Zoom call when I turn my camera off that I couldn't do sitting in a conference room for an hour and a half. Uh, right. I can multitask. I can you know check emails. I can interact. Now you know. So I'll leave that to the to the business theorists to, to to determine right whether that's more productivity or less. But I think a lot of people discovered that there's the ways we've had to adapt. We may not want to take apart. and and retract. So yeah, I do. I believe it is. Absolutely.
0: Dr. Clark, we talked a little bit about your role at the Alliance and kind of how the Alliance started, but can you maybe explain a little bit of the importance of Fort Gordon to our local economy? Yeah.
3: I mean, it's quite simple. Uh, They are our region's number one employer. And when you think about that, those 32,000 people that uh, act as their Workforce and then their dependents. They live within our communities, so it's uh, Mr. Tut who cuts my hair. It, you know, he, it's more uh, heads and seats for him. It's more dry cleaning. It is, it is more real estate for Reagan and in in his team uh, to sell, uh, and it's quality folks that uh, live in your neighborhood, participate in your homeowners association who retire and live here, who get uh, out of the army with an honorable discharge, maybe a young person after serving eight years and they live, work, play and learn in our communities. Uh, so it is the number one employer and we're, uh, extremely blessed to, to have them as our neighbors.
1: Well, it's an important message to get out, and that's a good question, Russ. I mean, the, the fact that Fort Gordon is here uh, and is such a big economic driver, I mean, it affords us some many of the great things that we have in our community. We couldn't have all that if we didn't have Fort Gordon. I think it's a good story to tell for folks to, to recognize that. I think it also helps uh, in, in this way. I, I've heard from a lot of folks at Fort Gordon that have been here from other communities that say they, they love Augusta because Augusta is so welcoming to, to those in the military um, and that there are other places. And I imagine that there might be some places in California that aren't so welcoming that, 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 uh, aren't quite, uh, such a friendly environment. And so, you know, I think it's great for our, our residents here to understand that, you know, we've got to support Fort Gordon, that that's such a big part of our economy. Uh, and that we've got to love on the troops that come here and stay here for a few weeks or a few years or retire here like you did, Tom. And so, um, so it's such a great place to be, there's a lot of exciting things happening out on Post these days. Uh, can you guys share with us some of the latest changes? We've got the new gate coming. We've got uh, new buildings. We've got all kinds of stuff happening. We're in a multi-year, multi-billion-dollar expansion. So, uh, give our listeners an idea of what's happening.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'll take the I'll take the you know inside the gates piece. Um, so as I as I alluded to earlier, we are we are in probably year th- two going on three. Uh, of a of a ten plus year one point six billion dollar uh, modernization and, and and construction effort to transform Fort Gordon from a nineteen fifties infrastructure uh, to a cutting edge twenty first century campus as well as the facilities the ina- uh, supporting infrastructure facilities to en- to enable the the operational units on Fort Gordon to continue doing what they're doing the heart of that effort. Is about 900 million is is the campus itself, and that's for folks who can kind of visualize Fort Gordon. That's kind of dead center of the Cantonment area on the northern edge of campus. Um, We are demolishing 11 buildings, uh, building four new major military structure military construction buildings. that right there uh, and bringing down some iconic buildings. And, and some of our listeners, for those of us that are they know, that are uh, emotionally attached to signal towers, will take a lot of photos, but unfortunately it has to come down. It's going to start coming down this winter. Uh,
1: You've got to give folks an opportunity to come get those photos. We're going to have will. a, la- a yep, last come call get for a tour. You've got about <laughs>
2: 60 days before the construction fence goes up. Um, and we will have a, 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 a ceremony uh, to, to kind of decommission the building, um, invite some former commanders, and we'll do that here soon. And we'll Get some invites out, but that's the level of transformation. That building Signal Tower stands in the in the quad of the new campus, right? So the future cyber warriors of tomorrow will be play frisbee where <laughs> where uh, Signal Towers currently stands, um, and and on the renderings you can kind of see why it has to come down and and the buildings that are are going to go up around it. Um, so that's that's the campus. Then there are road, utility, all the other infrastructure you have to bring up to par, right, to 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 support that new campus. Um, and, and the, the marquee project, really, in terms of, of uh, getting on and off the installation. So a lot of listeners that come and visit us for our world-class morale, welfare, and recreation facilities, golf, shooting, uh, riding stables, et cetera. Um, we're going to start bringing you in gate six, which is going to open, I hope, in a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll have a ribbon cutting. Um, that is going to take our, our gate infrastructure from two lanes to six. Uh, on that gate. And so we're going to go from six total lanes uh, on our existing gates to 10 total lanes inbound um, and an enormous construction um, commercial gate. So we're, we're excited not only in the campus, but in, in how we're, we're changing the, the kind of master layout of the installation and the roadways. Um, you're going to be able to get across my post f- uh, from Gordon Highway when you come in the new gate to the shopping center on the other side of post and you will hit one streetlight. All the rest are, are roundabouts. We're, we've started using roundabouts, thirty-five mile an hour through. Uh, so it's going to be it's going to be great in how people get on and off posts, and then how they move across it. Fundamentally, going to change. So we're pretty excited about that.
3: Yeah, and outside the gate, I mean, when you when you look at the federal government invested over a billion and a half dollars on infrastructure improvements on Fort Gordon between now and twenty twenty eight. And then the state turned around and built the world-class Georgia Cyber Center, $106 million facility. All this is, is off of the arrival of Army Cyber in the summer of 2020. And then you, you really look at the off-post growth of contractors now who are following the effort, people like Paraton. Parsons, ATL, Broadleaf, Mosaics, SoftTac, Sam Anderson starting a a hub zone, you know, and and his company expanding here and and branching out into North Carolina. These uh, contractors continue to grow. When you think that the Georgia Cyber Center was didn't exist a couple years ago, and it wasn't full of world class uh, folks who are, are you know GBI uh, folks attacking innovation, those type of things. Our region is truly becoming what Doctor Keel said, you know, a long time ago about this cyber tsunami coming to us, and we're we're all getting wet now, brother. That's a lot of things exciting happening, Tom. I'm cu- curious. You talk
1: about all the stuff that's happening outside. Fort Gordon, I know that Colonel Pitt can't probably, uh, you know, forecast what he'd love to see happen at Fort Gordon, but, you know, what are some things that, you know, if you could wave a Alliance magic wand for Fort Gordon's future, are there any things that you think that we should, as a community, be hoping for or looking for or, or wanting?
3: Yeah, if we could wave a wand, that $1.6 billion worth of infrastructure, MCA 1 through 4 would be passed pass um, I hope all the political representation is listening <laughs> also if I could wave that same wand uh, i-20 would have a uh, brand new interchange and and a uh, access road that ran from directly from i-20 into the brand new world-class gate six state-of-the-art new visitor control center uh, on the installation and then I would Give myself and you guys a raise and everybody else a raise. All service members a raise. Might as well get the wand out while I got it.
0: I love it. I'm, I'm, I am I'm. hope uh, my chair is listening to that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it's interesting. I, I sit here and I listen to you guys talk about all the, the changes and the things that happen. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it, at some point I remember, I think somebody saying that at, at one point you could just drive on to the post
3: no gates nothing you could just oh yeah pre 911 uh yeah sure I, there's a lot of people in this region who remember that just driving from one side to another and i i just think that that, that has changed since 911
2: yeah but i will say though that it, you, you we still if you're if you're willing to come and and submit the, the AIE paperwork, and you can do that through our MWR. You, go, you get a quick background check, just like you would for a day pass, and then you get an annual card that you can swipe in at our pedestals, at our gates, just like anyone else that, that I hope, you know, I swipe my, my ID card. Then you can come on without any rigmarole, go golf, you know. So I would tell you, um, yeah, we've got to do basic security stuff, but but we try to keep it as open because we want to share our, our 27-hole, uh, you know, golf course and our riding stables and our a world-class shooting range with you. So come on, come on.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that's a, a, another nice benefit of, of the, the post is, is having some of those amenities that, you know, just private citizens. And they're the best. I mean,
1: they really are incredible facilities. The golf course is awesome. I do mean, Russ, if you yeah, played out there staples. yet, but it's, it's fantastic.
0: Yeah. I've not been out there yet. Yeah. My wife is excited about the stables, so uh, I think sometime soon we'll take the the kids out there you know awesome. when they can when they can balance on the back of a horse. but I want to direct this next question to both of you guys. Um, some people may know in the community that you know Fort Gordon is is going to have a name change soon and it's not a question of if but it's a question more of when and and what it will be. Colonel Pick, maybe you can kind of talk about the process that you had to go through, and maybe Doctor Clark, you can kind of address some of the things, uh, you know, what what to expect and and how people can participate in the process.
2: Yeah, that's a great question, and that's a it is it's a significant event for for uh, for Fort Gordon and a, and a number of other installations. I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head. I think it's sixteen. Um, so the uh, First of all, it's it started out as law. It's in the National Defense Authorization Act, so it's legislated that this would be done. Uh, the Department of Defense has been tasked to to execute it. Uh, the administration uh, named a commission that came and visited us. Oh, I think it was probably six weeks ago now. Um, and the purpose of that visit, and and that's kind of where I'll get into. So, what were the tasks for us at the fort? Um, first of all, we had to inventory everything that had you know the the uh, specific association with. Uh, the, the Confederacy. So we did that in terms of real property, right? Obviously the gate, Fort Gordon, um, but there are other things, right? The water tower and, you know, we have to repaint and then how many signs and all that. And and the the task was for us to assign a cost that that, that would go back to the Department of Defense and hopefully to the administration to, to help offset this effort. Um, the second task for us, and that's where Tom and I had to partner, is was to open a uh, town hall venue for the commission to meet with the community. And we cast a very, very wide net uh, and invited uh, probably, I think, on the order of 150 people into our largest room there at, at Darling Hall um, and had a free-flowing exchange where, really, the Fort Gordon personnel stepped aside and let the community interact with the commission itself. Um, and, and most of the commission was there, uh, t- to include the chair, uh, Rear Admiral Howard, Um, retired. And so the purpose of that was to begin a conversation, get sentiments, understand and educate the the community on what it is and what it's not. Um, And then subsequently to that, uh, the commission opened up a web portal. It went live, I think, a couple of weeks ago, where literally anyone can go in and nominate uh, a name for the for the new installation. And that process will play out through this coming October. I believe is when they owe their initial report back to to, to the administration. Um, and I think the current planning timeline is October of twenty two is when the final report is due. And really, what comes after that is we'd be speculating right now. So we'll we'll be told. Um, so from my perspective, that that was that is the the nature of the the, the renaming effort uh, and how it it played out for Fort Gordon, and I'll kick it over to Tom. Yeah,
3: absolutely. So this is a good platform to tell everyone, but if you want to recommend a name, you just go to thenamingcommission.gov, and you can recommend a name. Um, The community is invited and welcome to do that. It's funny because we are the Alliance for Fort Gordon, um, and by law, the installation will be renamed. But for us it won't matter it whatever the name is we will be the alliance for dash uh and we will support the brave uh men and women who defend freedom in the american way of life it is really that as simple for our i have a chairman uh great chairman stan shepherd uh great board of directors and and they are absolutely clear that uh our mission will not change uh, because of a naming. We will, we will always support, uh, advocate, promote for the installation.
1: Well, the, f- forgive me if I'm, you know, a little bit nervous because we went through the disastrous <laughs> renaming of the, our, our medical college and university downtown a few years ago. Uh, but we're excited, too. I mean, you know, it, change is tough for a community like this. We've had Fort Gordon as Fort Gordon for a very, very long time. Um, but this is what's going to happen as, as you've all laid out. And this is, is something that's going to be really interesting. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a, a, a lot of uh, confusion over the next year, year and a half and in what's happening and what our name's going to be. And then, uh, you know, trying to get used to it, but, uh, you know, it'll be an interesting process. And, you know, I think ha- having both of you gentlemen as leaders during that this time, and, um, I'm, I'm confident it'll go smoothly.
3: I think it will. I, I, I believe in the commission. And when you look at the members of that board, uh, the majority of them have served. They understand the importance of community, uh, of tradition, uh, of so many things that, uh, that. and we have a, an amazing uh, commander at the Cyber Center of excellent General Stanton, and uh, we're gonna be fine.
0: It kind of came up in the, you know, the public forum, you know, talking about different types of names, Maybe if Dr. Clark, if you would kind of touch on some of the things, I know the army has a history of naming bases after people. Uh, but there were some other ideas thrown out, geographic. And, you know,
3: what are your, yeah, th- what thoughts? I would are just go over some of the names that I heard at the meeting. Uh, one of them was to uh, rededicate, uh, but uh, keep the name Gordon and name it after Gary Gordon, a Medal of Honor winner that the, Black Hawk Down is based off of. Uh, One of them was to name it uh, Fort uh, Joint Base Augusta, was one of the names. Um, Congressman Allen uh, suggested uh, naming it Eisenhower based off of his uh, commitment to our region. Um, Could call it, you know, Fort Honor, those type of things. But I, I think that there were lots of I could tell you at that commission, every idea was respected and every group was represented. When you looked around that room, uh, everyone from um, every gender, every ethnic background uh, was in the room and having a very robust conversation about the effort. Yeah,
0: I was in that room too, and I thought it was well handled, and and everyone had a, a great opportunity to to present their their thoughts. So. I appreciate your input on that. Well, we are a range of influence, and we've heard a lot about how Fort Gordon
1: is influencing our community. I'd like to change gears and hear about your guys' personal story a bit, you know, who's influenced you and how you personally are kind of influencing those around you. And so, uh, Colonel Pick, if we can start with you just uh, really quickly, tell us a little bit about kind of your career uh, in the Army. I mean, including four tours in Iraq, one in Afghanistan. Uh, can you just share some about your experience and what it's been like for you f- during your career in the army
2: wow sure yeah that, that's that's almost probably a, need a whole podcast, podcast. Yeah. yeah um and i and I won't bore you with 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 war stories but i i will say i've had uh an amazing career um i've been blessed with repeated assignments in in the army special operations community i am uh that's my tribe i love them uh and and I went to combat with them uh four times and, 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 uh, and I, I did some different stuff in Afghanistan in terms of strategic planning for NATO. That was also very interesting. Um, so I've, I've had a great run. Uh, my knees and ankles are, are, are living proof of, of, uh, you know, all the fun I had jumping out of planes, but it's been, it's been great. Um, and I, and I really would never have anticipated doing this as, as my final, my final job in the army. Um, but I'm glad I did. Cause it's again, unlike as we started, it's, it's unlike anything I've, I've ever done. Um, so, so had a had a great set of experiences, um, you know, and I'll have a lot of emotions stepping away next summer. Um, but what I think is is really m- most poignant to me is that looking back over, in my case, you know, I've been at war since two thousand three. Um, you know, our nation did this, and for better or worse, and however you feel about what we've done over that time, um, we we did it with, and I think we. As far as I know, we are the only country that's ever existed that has done what it's done—not uh, just in terms of fighting wars, but for the world—with um, an all-volunteer force. So that, to me, is really the the most singular thing about the American military uh, that I that I got to be a part of is that you know everybody raised their right hand and volunteered uh, by and large, you know, for most of our history uh, to do what we were able to do. Um, and so, that's a that's a that's a great community to have been a part of. Um, like I said, I'll always I'll always be a you know a special operations guy at heart. Um, but uh, yeah, and 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 what I'd say is you know um, the media is full of opinions about this, and and uh, that's another podcast, right? Um, what I would tell you is that what's different about this generation of veterans coming out of the post nine eleven era. Um, and and Tom's one of them too, right? Uh, that that I don't think we had in in prior generations of, of veterans. To include our greatest generation, what we didn't do a great job of as a nation was capturing their stories, right, for posterity. Um, what you have in the in what we call the Global War on Terror, the GWAT veteran era, is people doing exactly what we're doing now. If you just go to Google and and podcast or blog search veterans. Right, you will get an incredible community, uh, a vibrant community of veterans from all walks of life, all genders, all persuasions, telling their stories, and they're now captured, right, forever digitally. If you really want to learn about was you know Afghanistan right for us or wrong for us, what we do, what we you know, I, I would offer you know, spend less time on on you know Facebook and, and watching network news and read. And and possibly even interact with as you guys are doing people that were there and hear their stories firsthand. And I think if you do that enough, you you will form a a much richer picture of what this country's been through for the last twenty years, and whether and then you form your own opinion about whether it was worth it. um, If that makes any sense,
1: it does, and it's good to hear and and witness too, because I've got friends who are in that uh, that generation that you described that that kind of joined military post 9-11 and have had some of those experiences and there's so much more I mean it's just a generation right but they're just so much more willing to talk about what their experience was and their opinions about it uh, to tell their stories good and bad um, and, and I wish that that prior generations either had you know the willingness or the ability or the 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 uh, encouragement to do so I think my, my grandfather you mentioned the greatest generation he served World War II crossed the Rhine River was one of the first groups to cross was with General Patton and um, he had some amazing stories, but he would not tell them until, you know, the, the last couple of years of his life. And, and so I'm, I'm so glad that so many today are, are taking that opportunity. Tom, you had a very distinguished career as well. Uh, we met the first time many years ago when you were at Fort Gordon Station there, uh, Command Sergeant Major. Tell us about kind of what your experience was, uh, what, maybe why you got in uh, to, the, to the Army to begin with.
3: I joined because farm work was too hard. (laughs) (laughs) I remember the drill sergeant telling me, you're going to work harder than you've ever worked. Wake up earlier, and he let me sleep till five and three meals a day with dessert, and I was hooked. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, I served over 32 years, uh, and I'm blessed to work with uh, people like Colonel Pick. I mean, when when you talk about guys like him, you can... Describe them as a good, bad man. <laughs> so uh, it well, it's is. it's cool. I
1: mean, in, in your seat too at the yeah. at the alliance. I mean, you've had some amazing guys to work with over the I, I years. Have. Some garrison commanders and folks at Fort Gordon that come in
3: and, and Colonel Pick certainly one of those. Yeah, absolutely. And when you work with folks like that, and you have life changing experiences. Uh, You go to combat, Um, we lost a young kid named uh, Specialist Aaron Clark, he's just one of many, but I'll mention him, 19 years old, from Chico, California, Uh, got killed by an IED uh, when we were in Iraq. And men and women who serve with you, this is scar tissue on their hearts. Um, And I describe that because it's always there, always. Uh, the immense pride that you had in the mission is always there, but the loss is there too and when you uh serve with people and those events are so significant in in changing you never forget them they are you you hear this term of that's my brother, that's my sister you know it's my brother by another mother type of uh, thing. It is true. And you may not speak to them for five, seven years and then see them at the conference and you get this, you know, long, uncomfortable man hug, you know, (laughs) two men in the middle of the floor. We don't care who's watching, uh, but we know, we know uh, the battles that they've been through. And then fast forward now being out 10 years, I get to see that same brother and sisterhood by our community leaders. It isn't, serving in the military, but they are serving our community. I look at so many volunteers that sit on these boards and there are CEOs of major companies giving freely of their time, their efforts, their people. Uh, And it is inspiring to see those leaders on the outside of the gate, supporting the folks on the inside of the gate, so.
0: I love hearing, your first of all, your guys' story. I'm the son of a Vietnam veteran. The grandson of a World War II veteran, much like Reagan. Um, First and foremost, thank you both for your service. I I really do um, understand. Uh, I haven't served personally, but I have a a great understanding of what you guys have gone through, just from my experience from my father and my my grandfather. So, I want to maybe touch on one more kind of heavy item before we get into some of the light things, but maybe talk about in, in hearing your guys' stories a little bit. I think, you know, at least in a current generation, we hear a lot more about PTSD and, and things that are associated with service. If you can maybe briefly touch on, you know, how real that is and how we as people that, I'm talking about myself, that haven't had the opportunity to serve, how we can help, and or even just understand uh, what you guys go through. I, I know it's a heavy question, but no, it
2: is. And, and, and you know what? But it's an important one. And I and I thank you for asking it. Um, so I'll start, and then I'll kind of kick over to Tom. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll start with a statement. You know, uh, that I because I see in some places in the media um, and in society where there's a narrative that we're broken, right? We're not broken. Um, and in the Afghanistan, the the the. The shutting down of our Afghanistan episode um, recently triggered a lot of that. Um, and what I told people that, you know, called the check on me, and we'll get to that, and, then, and why that's important, I said, hey, well, we're going to be okay, right? We, we've got each other. we got a vibrant veterans community. We have great communities, that like the one we're sitting with now. Um, but, the, but I kind of pushed back on the narrative that, that, that we're the broken veteran narrative. Um, we have challenges Combat is a, is a singular human experience, um, and it just as Tom said a few minutes ago, nobody is unchanged by that. Um, but we don't all come out of that right broken, um, you know, and in need of repair. We just come out of it different, and 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 depending on your life circumstances, I've 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 been blessed with a with a strong core family and an extended family, uh, a, a community of, of friends and veterans. And, and friends going back to high school um, that, you know, I transitioned well back into life outside, you know, uh, deployment. Um, not all do, and some need a little more help, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and, I, and I would just say that the, what's, what we can do as communities is to be aware that, that, that there are veterans there and listen to their stories, right? That, this is therapy of its own. Um, and so I think it's less dire, uh, at least from my view, then, then some make it um, and there are some people who really struggle and they need a lot of help um, and I think our, our our veterans administration has struggled not just with this current gener- generation of veterans but prior um, and that's constantly in need of of improvement and reform and I've got good friends you know a wounded veteran a dear friend of my brother and I DJ Skelton up in the Pentagon working on that tough problem from the inside right now and so there's great Americans working on it um, but as people, I just think, you know, sit around a fire, right. Beverage of choice, listen to some guitar and talk, um, that is therapy, right. And so listen to each other.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with all that. And I, um, PTSD is real, um, and it, it's, it's combat. It, it could be from other significant emotional events that happen to you, not, it's not a uh, military specific thing. It, yeah. it happens throughout our uh, country. And uh, I think the support that you get, there's organizations out there. And um, and if you're a friend of mine and you're listening to this and you need to call, call me, you know what I mean? Let's all just uh, help each other uh, through this. Um, And some of it is as a result is we have young uh, American service members that the entire time since they were enlisted, um, they've been deployed. I mean, uh, my first 18-plus years in the military, we were preparing for war. We were going to Grafenvere. We were going all over the world prepping. uh, And then, uh, can I say the defecation hit the oscillating face. Yeah. <laughs> um, that works. So that happened. And then year, you know, 12 months in combat, eight months back, 15 months in combat, 12 months in combat. And you have service members who, you know, they need to uh, now get used to being a family you know, being back with their loved ones again for extended periods of time. So there's all kinds of different levels of that. But I would say as long as you have a robust, uh, family of love and, and that's not defined by blood, uh, that, that you need to help, uh, help, uh, others and, and help yourself get the right treatment.
0: Thank you guys for that. I, and I didn't mean to put you on the spot with that question, but I think it's question. so important. Um, like you said, uh, Colonel Pick, it's not a brokenness. It's just, it's a coping mechanism and, and people cope with it different ways. And I just, I feel that oftentimes there's a stigma about PTSD or, or things and even mental health anymore. Um, but it's, it's just the way people are wired. And, and again, if like you, like you guys said, conversations, loving on one another and, and just just being there for each other. So, amen to that. I appreciate that.
1: Well, it's it's important.
0: I, I like the the statement you made,
1: Colonel Pick, about you know probably just a good idea to sit around a fire with a guitar. You playing guitar, beverage of choice, and just talk about it. I I remember a conversation I had recently with a young soldier that you know he's got a young child that um you know is taking on some of that burden that the dad is passing on because of some of those issues that he's still dealing with and you know that this young guy's got issues with large crowds he doesn't like the loud sounds he doesn't like bodies being pressed up against him and so when they go to disney world or to a concert out at lady a park or whatever the son who's who's little gets real nervous and anxious because he's worried about daddy and yeah. so you know that conversation that we've got to have with our families and with our friends to make sure that we're all understanding of that and, you know, and all that kind of stuff and that and that, you know, those that serve, I know, don't want to pass those struggles down to their kids and have them carry that same burden. So it's an important, um, you know, issue. And so thank you guys for for going deep and heavy on that. Um, if we could try to make a transition to something light, Russ, if we can yeah. do something <laughs> that and get get over that. But, um, you know, you guys do some heavy work. Uh, sometimes you need an outlet. Uh, I understand, Colonel, one of your outlets is motorcycles. Uh, so I think you, uh, you a Harley driver. What do you do? Where do I, I you am, go?
2: I'm a Harley guy. Um, if I had the disposable income, I would have a stable of motorcycles. Uh, but <laughs> currently my wife, my, I call my motorcycle, the marriage stress tester, right? It does. Like I went down, uh, to, I had a, another Harley. I went down for, uh, to the Harley store for a free hot dog, and they were having a picnic. And I came home with a new mo- new bike, so <laughs> now I'm not allowed to go on, uh, to, to the Harley store. Free that free hot store. dog was very expensive. Yeah, very yeah. expensive. Thirty thousand dollar hot dog, but uh, uh, yeah, no, I'm a Harley guy. Uh, I enjoy it, uh, love it. It's it's my therapy, right? Where I, do
1: you go riding, and what's your dream job or dream uh, dream ride? I mean,
2: so I, I do a lot of riding just here in the beautiful surrounding areas around. You know, I go up. I live in Evans, so I shoot north uh, through across uh, the the reservoir. And uh, I head up Lincolnton. I go left to right, and and I just explore. Um, the best riding, obviously, up in up in the the, the hills and, and mountains and North Carolina and Tennessee. But uh, my dream ride is is hopefully one I'll be doing regularly here soon is uh, the Pacific Coast Highway, Big Sur to Monterey. Um, and hopefully, I'll be my that'll be my daily ride soon. That's <laughs>
0: right. That's right, Doctor Clark. Uh, you've uh, You've got to have some outlets of your own. I, I do understand that there's a, a, a love for karaoke. Uh, maybe that's not your entire outlet.
3: Yeah, I, I like uh, I like a good cigar, uh, bourbon on ice, uh, karaoke. Uh, you know, singing a little bit uh, and spending time with my kids and my our grandkids.
2: What I'll tell the audience is next thunder over Evans. You need to be there because. Tom does a rendition of, of ragged old flag. That is, uh, it's the best is, rendition I've, the ever best heard. I've ever heard. It's so, incredible. Yeah.
1: Colonel Pitt retirement is in your future. You've alluded to it a few times during this podcast I'm, about, <laughs> I'm <not counting>. about <laughs> getting to the end and about spending <laughs> your time in California. What are your plans and what are you most looking forward to?
2: Uh, so our plans are, are, I'm going to give up command hopefully next July if they don't, you know, fire me before that. Um, and we'll retire, uh, that right there. And, um, We're going to head west, so we're West Coast people, and and we've loved it. We've spent 13 years in North Carolina at Fort Bragg and and, uh, a few tours here at Gordon, obviously. Um, You know, love it. It's just our people are 3,000 miles away. So, you know, the kids and the grandparents and aging parents, it's just we're going to – we want to – family's huge for us. So it's going to take us back out west, um, and our landing zone is going to be Monterey, California. We own a place out there. Um, And like I said, the PCH is right out my front door. Um, and so my brother and sister are brothers in Monterey and sisters about an hour up the road. So, uh, we're going to make a run of it. Got to figure out how to, how to do the financial side of that. We'll figure
1: it out. Monterey. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Monterey is unbelievable. And I don't play golf. Um, I, literally yeah, I was going to say, I've been the 17 mile. <laughs> right. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. That's a, uh, interesting, uh, happenstance how you ended in Monterey and don't play golf. And don't play golf. Right. But hey, the, the bike will take care <laughs> of it. It will. Yeah. <laughs> Rocher. Absolutely. So we always kind of like to end on um, again the name of the show, range of influence. We like to talk about your influences a little bit. Uh, tell us. I'll aim the question at both of you, and maybe uh, Colonel Cur- or Dr. Clark. Maybe you can start, and then uh, we'll end on on Colonel Pick. But obviously, outside of family, family is always influential to us. But what experience or what person has probably been the most influential in your career?
3: Yeah. I I took my dad out of it. Yeah. uh, Sorry. Most influential and he, we love your dad. Yeah. He uh, started when I was five, when someone said something about me being a young boy and the way he was disciplined me. And he said, listen, I'm raising men. All right. I'm not trying to raise a boy. So, I mean, he's been the most influential. Um, Outside of that, my Army family, of course, General Foley, who was my commander four or five different times. Um, I look at uh, leaders on my board, Stan Shepard, at at the amazing community, things that that he does. He, He influences the way that I act. But I really think the service members that, I lost in combat, I was their final command sergeant major. They've influenced me by the life they lived and the life they were robbed of. So um, when I got out of the Army, I believed that that was only half time of my life, that I kinda won the first half of my life. If you're football analogy, I won 21 to seven and then I got some coaching at halftime and devoted the second half of my life of of giving back and and living life to my fullest because there are so many people uh, that don't have that opportunity anymore. So I would just say that lots of influencers, my my wife being my best friend, I thought this was supposed to be a high point, yeah. but I'm, getting kind, yeah, of, yeah, I'm getting kind of crazy right here. But uh, so many people that I'm blessed to be around, uh, and I appreciate it. Colonel Pick.
2: Oh, man. Well, so I'm going to cheat a little bit, too. So sure. Uh, sure. he did mention General Retired Foley, and, and I got to give then Colonel Foley, commander of the 35th Signal Brigade Airborne at the time. Uh, as kind of my first brigade commander uh, was— <laughs> He shaped me as a, as our iron sharpens sharpens iron um, as a young officer, and kind of it was a difference between me at that point. You know, my first three four years um, get kind of getting out and and doing something else and staying in, um, and so he had a, a huge part in that. And I'll give him a shout out, uh, but really the the reason I came into service, then the reason I stayed, and um, and we shared a lot was you know. So he is my brother, so he's family, but he's also uh, a retired colonel, um, and and. Was my inspiration for for entering, um, and we had the again just the blessing of you know he he served in 10th Special Forces Group uh, when they went into Iraq, um, and then kind of got me assigned to the group, and I and I carried on the the, the pick legacy with 10th Group, um, and now his son is a young officer in 10th Special Forces Group today, um, and he's going to selection uh, in a few months to to compete for his Green Beret. Which would be the first, because neither his dad or I were green berets, but just assigned. Um, so, so he was a huge influence. You know, uh, he got me into that special operations community, um, and then I, I, I literally lived every day trying to earn the right to stay there. Um, they, as you know, a saying in the community, every day is a selection event. Um, and so, the fact that I spent 13 years in in special operations community for me was a testament that I had I had earned the rent every day, um, and lived up to the expectations of giants. Um, many who were most of which were actually subordinate to me in rank, but, uh, but people, I, well, guys that literally trained me and and kept me alive on a few occasions. So, uh, yeah, living up to that example. Um, and those, those we had to put on, on aircraft, you know, on ramp ceremonies, as Tom referred to, um, were, you know, you, you, you spend every remaining day living up to to, to them. Uh, so so yeah, I'll end on that.
0: Well, gentlemen, I'm humbled to be here sitting in front of you guys and having this opportunity to talk with you. Thank you for your time. And, um, yeah, we'll catch you all next time.
2: All right. Thanks for having us. Thank you.
0: Reagan, I have a whole new respect for what these two gentlemen have done for our country and what they are doing for our region. Their stories uh, are pretty
1: incredible, Russ. Uh, the influence that they're having on so many young soldiers today uh, that will last in the future is is really inspiring. Uh, not to mention, you've got stories like Colonel Pick just rolling up in his Harley. Uh, and then, you know, Tom, uh, we didn't get to hear much today, but, you know, if you've ever heard him a karaoke, he's pretty awesome. But certainly, uh, you know, Influence is our game here on this podcast, and they are having a ton of it. Yeah,
0: and, and Fun just seems to follow these two gentlemen.
1: We want to take this opportunity to remind you to subscribe to Range of Influence through your favorite podcast app, and be sure to share our show and rate us whenever you listen.
0: That's right, Reagan. And before we sign off, we need to thank our podcast producer, Kimberly Lahodny, and our presenting sponsor, Premier Networks. Be sure to visit them at AugustaITGuys.com. Again, that's AugustaITGuys.com. We'll catch you on the next episode of Range of Influence.
3: Stay here and do some Prince and some Willie Nelson.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Prince, I got to hear that.
3: I, I never meant to be your weekend lover.